Welcome to the TKW Podcast. I'm Matt Spendley, and I'm joined tonight by Anthony Corvo. Hey there, people. I didn't know where I wanted to go with that, but I went there. You really left it out. You really yeah, left it out. I, I did. That was basically the Kawhi Leonard laugh right there. I kind of started <laughs> off hot and did just trail. <laughs> and also, our good friend, Reed Goldsmith. Hey, guys. What's going on? What's up? So, fellas, not our normal crew, Kyle Maggio uh, had a bit of an issue with taking off time from work, so he's got to be up. Bright and early. He's a hard worker, that Kyle. He is a hard worker. He keeps two dogs, like, well-fed. You know, that house is renovated. I wish Kyle posted more about those dogs on social media. That's the only thing I Yeah, if anything, Kyle needs to speak up about his dogs a little bit more because he just never mentions them. At least they have cute faces. They do have cute faces. If they didn't, we'd have a problem. Yeah. All right, so training camp underway. A lot of storylines. A lot of stuff going on around Knicks land. We've had from all the press conferences that went on to all the new players in training camp and new coaching staff. But very briefly, before we get into some of the training camp stuff, we wanted to ask Reed about his experience at last week's press conference. Reed went to the press conference that featured Fisdale, Mills, and Perry that wasn't the open forum that they had with the season ticket holders. So I think it was like a, a Monday, a Thursday, and then they had... Uh, media day obviously this week so read impressions from that how was the atmosphere there what was it like being at an event like that yeah i think the atmosphere right off the bat was that you know when david fisdale is in a room every eye is just like right towards him anytime he opens his mouth like everyone's just listening all ears and that's just like coming from just the media in the room which is kind of crazy because then you try to extend that towards the players and especially young players that you really, while he's speaking, you're like, oh, I wonder if they're like hanging out in every word when they're in the locker room together. And that, like that stood out definitely because um, a lot of what was said that day wasn't like too new. Um, so the biggest impression was that, wow, uh, Fizzo really can command a room and that uh, they, hopefully these young players are taking away a lot. He's remarkably suave. Like it, it, even when you're watching on television, you can tell. He, and he always says something. I tweeted this out after that exact press conference because he he made some quip and the whole room started laughing. But he says one thing every time when I'm watching him speak or have a press conference that I'm like, wow, like he draws you in. And I, you know, we're trying just not a, to, we're just trying to take it in. And, and it, he he really catches you off guard with that. And you're like, wow, I just want to like this guy. It's his demeanor, too, man. Like I, yeah. I was uh, not even an hour ago. I was just back to back to back going through like uh, Mitchell Robinson and Kevin Knox uh, summer league highlights. And just there was a, a part of it where Fisdale was over on the bench talking to the uh, the commentators and everything like that. And just like I wasn't even listening to what he was saying. I was just watching his arms move and like the way he would talk, like his face would move when he's talking about these players. Like he's just pure optimism, man. This uh, this group really meshes well together, I think. Yeah, it's a it's a good compliment also to Perry and Mills, who are a pretty even keel and which is which is what you want from your management in your front office. It's a perfect group 
for the message that the Knicks should have. Kyle and I have said this on the pod for for weeks. We said it all summer, really. Since they hired Fisdale, they've been saying the same things, which is why it was so encouraging to see it through the eyes of the press conference. And we've seen them say, as you mentioned, some of the same kind of ideas have been the ones they're going back to, but they're important ones that they need to stick to. So no matter how Fisdale ends up coaching this team, it's, at least they are saying the right things. And we've said this for, for weeks now. We haven't really seen a front office like this before from the Knicks, though, have we? Like, there's no real comparison we can go back to. I don't remember, like, I don't remember any, like, cohesive front office head coach tandem that's, like, existed in the past. It's always been one or the other. Or there's been a revolving door. Or the coach would be gone, and then the GM would be gone, and then the next coach would be gone. Uh, we talked... It, we talked yeah. on here about Donnie Walsh for a little bit because the Knicks had a bit of a renaissance when he was there, but there was no cohesion because they were still, you know, Dan Tony was kind of in between yeah. and then they had Blitzen and then, you know, Donnie Walsh, of course, ended up leaving going to. Yeah, Indiana, like, I don't so I don't feel like Donnie different. Walsh and Mike D'Antoni had a very strong relationship. Like, I feel like no. I feel like Perry and Fisdale so far have just hit it off and like. Props to Steve Mills for like sticking around this whole time, staying a little bit quiet. It's just it's weird seeing him around the mix too when he's when he's really the only carryover from the last right. few years. Yeah, I, th- I think they've allowed Fisdale also to be sort of like what we would associate a star player, but in a coaching role where he's kind of the face of the franchise. And in any any other franchise that was rebuilding and didn't have a star player already, like the Knicks do with Porzingis, he would pretty much be getting every headline, and he kind of always does already. So they've allowed him to like soak in media attention while Perry and Mills have kind of just been on the sidelines being patient and, and preaching that since day one. And that takes so much pressure off the players, too, because like think about KP's out. You have young guys with like Knox and Neil Aquina and Robinson and anyone else who's trying to step up on the team. And now you have kind of Fisdale to take some of that media attention off them and let them kind of do their thing a little bit. You know, the spotlight's always going to be on them. They're developing Knicks players, but it won't be every headline you have this coach to evaluate and worry about. And I think he's handling that well. And it's infectious. You'll see when the players are giving their interviews too, you can tell the energy levels just ticked up a bit and this team is going to be bad this year. We know, but it's good to have a United front and going into a season where you're expecting to be bad. Hopefully it's not the kind of season that the Knicks have had over the last two or three years where they end up starting out pretty hot. And then as the year goes on, the energy level drops off. It feels like this team is just going through the motions. So I think they know what to expect to. I think the team is realistic, and I think the front office knows exactly where they're heading. So with that in mind, let's talk about some training camp storylines. The first one I want to start off with, because Reed and I had a debate about this in our Slack chat the other day, is the starting lineup comments made by David Fisdale earlier today. So essentially, the gist of what he said is that No one's promised a starting position. He hasn't been told by anyone in the front office who should start, no matter what they're getting paid, no matter what their experience is. If you earn your spot, you're going to play and you're going to be a starter. So, Corbo, let's start off with you. When you're thinking starting lineup for the Knicks, who do you have in mind? What are some thoughts you have regarding that? Um, It's an interesting place to start because I really like you know, it's coming in a couple of weeks. I think they're going to have to use preseason to really evaluate who fits well with each other and against a little bit of a high-level talent. But I feel like the only one who's probably got a lock on the job is Ennis Canner, only because I feel like Mitchell Robinson is probably just a li- like a couple of steps away from being there. Uh, but I think he'll at least compete for it, so that's good. 
Uh, so I'm going to go Cantor. Um, I think at the four, you got to give it to Lance Thomas just because he's been there for so long. And, you know, everyone else that you're going to start there is probably more of a natural center. Right. Uh, I think Knox can absolutely take the three if you if he wants to go for it. Uh, I don't know if he's going to develop more into a four rather than a three, but for now, I think he could certainly take that spot, and I think it's his to lose. Uh, if not, then you go guard heavy, and you could probably put Courtney Lee there. Other than that, I would. It's got to be. I'd like to at least try Neil Aquina at point guard again, and then Tim Hardaway at the two guard. If you got to move Frank to the two, that's cool too. Uh, you know, if you're going to start Trey Burke or Emmanuel Moutier or whoever you want to go, that's fine. Like all, like one through three is kind of a crapshoot. I think a lot of it's dependent on Kevin Knox. It's it's interesting that you mentioned Lance Thomas right off the bat because I think that's I think Lance Thomas gets a bad rap from Knicks fans definitely. But in my back of my mind, I would I would kind of consider Thomas for the four as well because if you go back to Fizio's comments like from the very beginning, he mentioned Lance Thomas being a dream on green type for the team, and for people that know the Warriors, they know that Steve Kerr kind of unlocked Draymond Green, yeah. and and he and but he used to not have a starting role, but when he did, he kind of further unlocked that team's potential. Yeah, and I, not that I'm saying Lance is going to be Draymond, but he definitely brings defense and a three and D mentality that the team a, needs. He's a good defender when it, he's a good like tweener defender. Like he's not going to dominate in the, you know dominate defensively in the post, and he's not going to be like stuck on you on the perimeter. But I trust him enough to be capable in either one of those positions. So, and, and he's not going to be a guy who demands the ball. And as Fitzgerald says, yeah. they want the team to play. He's already been a captain too. Like he's got the respect around there. Like he just need, he's just playing to be solid. He's a Brooklyn guy. Like he he'll be fine. He was also really good at media day too. Like you could tell his he knows what leadership role he has on this team and what's going to be expected of him and how they're going to ask a veteran of his stature to step up. So I have no problem if he ends up starting. The point of contention that I have with anyone that's talking about a potential starting lineup is number one, and I know Reed doesn't agree with me, so he, you are welcome to go after this. <laughs> Tim Hardaway Jr. should start no matter what, and he, I think no matter what, he's going to start, and I don't see why we are entertaining any other possibilities. He's going to be their leading scorer this year. He's, you need his offense in a lineup that I, is <sighs> devoid, especially if you're going to start Frank Nielakina and Lance Thomas, two guys that have really struggled to do anything offensively Thomas in his career up to this point, Neil Aquina in his young career beyond Hardaway though, a couple thoughts about the wing positions, Courtney Lee. I don't think that they're going to start Hardaway and Lee because Fizdale said he doesn't really think that they should start two of those guys that aren't big enough on the wing. Yeah, no so way. I'd be surprised if those two end up starting together, which is why a Thomas makes a lot more sense uh, beyond that. Cantor's a lock. There's no way he doesn't start, which Again, I don't see why we should not That's want fine, him yeah. to start. The Knicks are going to be bad. He's going to be the you second need guys lead. that are going to eat up some minutes. Yeah. Right. He's, he's going to score just as much as Hardaway. Yeah. Precisely. Your two leading scorers are going to be Hardaway and Cantor. The only way that changes is if Kevin Knox is incredible right off the bat, which I'm not thinking. Yeah. That, those yeah. are your two leading scorers. Those are the guys. Uh, that fucking Michael Beasley could have been our leading scorer this year. Can you imagine? <laughs> no. Uh, I imagine I liked Michael Beasley. It was fun, but it was know. a good it run. I'm so glad he's enough. not. Yeah. One year is good. One year is we'll enough. Well, now that you have his wearing number eight and number eight on the Knicks means you're going to be like a crazy, crazy person. That's how it goes. Yeah. Because yeah, JR Spree. Oh, fuck. Bees. I also just watched that JR Shumper double alley-oop today too. Oh, I think that's my, that's my there. favorite play 
Uh, and then my second favorite play is the one where KP swats it under the basket against the Suns, I think, and then fucking goes back in transition and then dunks it on them at the other end. Keep that in mind. We'll come back to that later. We, oh, yes, we'll yes. Oh, 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 fucking. Up in the gun, Corbo. Did you read the rundown? Yeah, I did, but I forgot. <laughs> no, he's, he's teasing it. Show, yeah, showing like... my cards. All right, Reed. Uh, so I know you have some Tim Hardaway takes. So what do you think? I know you've had some problems with his defense in a potential starting line. I... So I, I think the core of the issue, like between our uh, differences here, is just I just personally do not think Hardaway can be offensively productive or even efficient to merit being like the long-term starter of this team because I think he's just too much of a liability on defense. And then if his team is going to be without Porzingis on offense, he's just going to be a volume shooter that is just not going to be productive enough. I, I I don't know. Do you do you see? I think you see him as more talented, and, and he's going to get out of those struggles from last year, right? Yeah. Well. Let's look at his stats last year. He averaged 17 and a half points on 42% shooting, which can stand to improve. He was 31% from three, which can also stand to he improve. He was super and I hurt. think, yes, he had some injuries. And I think people in general would say that Hardaway was bad last year. So if he's passable this year, what does that look like? That could be a 20 point scorer on 43 to 44% shooting with a 34 to 35% clip from three. His defense isn't going to improve, but this team is going to be bad. Man, so what I, I, just, I just think like, all right, this is, he's going to start and I'm not saying do this in, in, you know, November, but like, God, when things start really going down the shitter around February or so, fucking, I would love to see what Tim Hardaway Jr. could do cooking in a six man role. Like, oh, man, I think it would be so fucking sweet if you get these guys, these young guys yelling together in a starting lineup, even if it's not great and they make a lot of mistakes, and you get some of these vets cooking on the bench, like, that would be fun to see. I, that's his destiny, right? I can't. A sixth man on, on a good team? Yeah. You can see him I, being a sixth man. That's I mean, a microwave if he gets, off the bench. It's I don't know if he plays envision. out his contract. How, how many years does he have left? Three. A lot. Right? Three? <laughs> yeah. He has this year. This, so this is the second year of a four-year deal. Yeah, I, I think by the end of this contract, he gets moved, and that's exactly what ends up happening. He is just cooking on a contender coming off the bench. The, the, what you said about the six-man row is what I've been advocating for because I, I, I understand when Matt's coming from. I think where he is right now in the second year of that contract, that like it makes sense that he's going to start, and, and I, I agree that he is going to. Like He's probably this is where it's pointing to. But to me, he's going to get exploited by teams so easily. Like any team that has a f- average or more fellow but better coach is going to know how to abuse Hardaway on defense. It's going to be too much of a liability. But I agree with you, Anthony, that he could have transitioned into like this super six man role where he plays like a little bit more minutes than like would be the fifth starter for the team. And he can kind of cook and like and if he's cooking in the game, then just leave him in and just let, let him cook because. But he's going to be what were you going to say? No, no, I was just say the other side of it is like it'll happen. Like we're we're we have a tendency to do this because we just want all this shit to be done and over with and us to be competitive again. But like the right way. But like Tim Hardaway, there's no problem with starting Tim Hardaway Jr. right now. It's everything Matt's saying too, where he's going to be the leading scorer on the team. He's going to be able to get a little, you know, minor star treatment out there and everything like that. And in a couple of years, he'll transition to that. But like. If while we're on this schedule, while KP's out, while all this shit's going on, fucking, I don't know, he can eat his cake. He's your, he's one of your highest paid players. Mm. You've talked him up. You've told him clearly the things that he's saying in these interviews. They expect big things. This is also, I know Perry came in after they signed Hardaway to this contract, but this is also part of the contingency that signed this man to a big contract. 
So there's clearly still some part of his DNA with this team that believes in him and wants him to succeed. Yeah, but my, my only caveat with that is that if it's if, like Fizzo has said, every spot's open for grabs. We've, we've already mentioned this on the pod. Then if they're truly egalitarian, then wouldn't they kind of throw out the contract? Like they don't really care about but that. But that's that's we're living in a utopia in that point. It's not realistic. They can say whatever they want. Then Fizdo can say it's up for grabs. It's not up for grabs. That's my take. Two and five is locked in. Maybe the other three spots are up for grabs. Sure. Two and five, not up for grabs. I, I think and also just going off of this, um, something really interesting Anthony mentioned but with Knox in the lineup. I think what they should do with Knox um, was something they should have done with Porzingis when he was in his first and second year. And they kind of tried, but they didn't really fulfill it that much. Was I think they need to start Knox three, and but then give give Kevin a little bit more time at four, maybe with the second unit in, and like give him a few spot minutes, like kind of with KP at the five earlier in his career. Right, and that'll give them a lot of opportunities to utilize him because Kyle and I have talked about this too, up to the draft and then leading through. Knox can be a three or a four, and he's growing. We've seen pictures of him next to Michael Porter Jr., oh who's six ten, six eleven. They're the same height. So we know he has the size, but that's that's the point that I think we get caught up in with the starting lineup. And we can move on after this because I want to talk about some other things. But the starting lineup at the end of the day doesn't matter. It's who finishes. So I said this when we had talked about a potential Tim Hardaway Jr. starting lineup. And Reed said, hey, I'd like to see him paired with Trey Burke. What would that look like? Well, just because Hardaway starts and Burke doesn't doesn't mean those guys can't spend a ton of minutes together because you can utilize a starting lineup where, hey, Nilakina and Hardaway are starting in the backcourt. Nilakina comes out with five or six minutes left in the first quarter. Trey Burke plays the rest. All of a sudden, you've got a bunch of Trey Burke minutes to go around with Hardaway. There's a lot of different ways you can move around the lineups to allow Hardaway to be put in a situation where he can exploit second units and have offensive players against him that can't take advantage of his defense as much. So that's on a coaching staff to pick and plug those guys that struggle on defense to end up utilizing them in the best manner. And then at the end of the day, it's about who closes a game for the Knicks. It's who's on the court when it matters. I'd also be really surprised if one lineup started more than like 25 games together. That's a great point because we might see Courtney Lee make it 30 games for the Knicks and then he gets traded. We might see Neil Aquino struggle immensely or get hurt and Trey Burks in there. We might see them try to say Moutier. And Fitz that's a great point because we, we saw that last year too. Right. He's exactly. an experiment. It's, it's a great So beyond that, let's talk about one guy that's been getting some buzz that is now called Skinny Shack, apparently, <laughs> by, uh, I think it was Trey Burke. Trey Burke called him a young I'm not mad about young, it. Skinny. You know, uh, maybe a little bit overstated, but I don't see that. it. <laughs> I mean, you know, come on. We're talking about a second round pick versus one of the most highly touted prospects in basketball history. I don't but, care. You know, I'm all in on Mitchell Robinson. A lot of people are. We had some conversations today with people that are over the moon for him. And while I think that there's reasons to be optimistic about his future, we also need to dial this back. And Kyle and I have also tried to be realistic about Robinson because he's so raw. There's been a lot of questions about his maturity level, his ability to transition into the NBA. There's going to be a learning curve. And we also need to keep in mind that Mitchell Robinson shouldn't play minutes with 
and his canter. Mitchell Robinson should play minutes. If you're going to play him with another big, you should play him with a Lou Cornette who can potentially stretch the floor, who can bring the uh, bring the defense out a little bit more. We, we'll see if Cantor ends up adding that three-point shot that he's talked so much about. But at the end of the day, Robinson's going to need a specific lineup around him to really perfect his skill set and help him grow. So, Reed, what do you think about Mitchell Robinson, how he's going to fit in with this year's Knicks, and what type of guys they should put around him to allow him to propel to new heights. Sure. So the comparison that comes up other than skinny Shaq, obviously, uh, is, is Capella, Clint Capella. Um, and I kind of, they kind of need to treat him like that. They need perimeter people around Robinson. He needs to be able to camp out in the paint and rack up those blocks without having to be stretched too thin. Uh, he's, he's still kind of lanky. So I'd like to see a bit more muscle on him, but he has the natural athleticism. He'll, he'll be kind of molded into that role and take on any center that comes at him. But he, he needs the perimeter people around him that can provide shooting. Corbo, what do you think about Mitchell Robinson this year? What's your outlook? Um, my outlook is rosier than uh, Billy Hernan Gomez. See, like, I, I okay. bought in on the Hernan Gomez hype, but I kind of like, yeah, I was skeptical, I guess, a little bit more. But I am, I'm feeling a little bit more optimistic about Mitchell Robinson. Like, I think that he's going to have a lot of the same struggles where he'll be out of place. You know, he'll he'll know how to get the ball in the basket. He'll know how to be there for putbacks. And, like, he's fast enough to be able to pull off some of those amazing, you know, three-point line blocks that we saw, which will be much, much rarer when he's playing against actual, you know, scorers in the NBA. But, uh, but I you know, I just want to see how he learns this year. I don't have a lot of expectations for him. Like, you know, he's a second-round pick who didn't play in college last year. So like I don't know if he if he cracks the rotation this year I'm going to be happy if he can really cement himself in a role on this team I'm going to be ecstatic and uh, I don't know I guess that's as high as expectations I can put on him right now just just improve a little on defense be passable on defense this year and then we'll take it from there. You I mean, you mentioned Billy he Billy coming in obviously like went through the ranks in like the Spanish league and his game on offense was so much more polished than what Robinson is right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's true. And they're such different players because I feel like Hernan Gomez always had a ceiling in the modern NBA. But Robinson, we've seen players like him. Reed mentioned a Clint Capella. We see rim runners like a Rudy Gobert excel in the right system and able to make an impact defensively. Robinson's biggest issue on defense is going to come right between the ears because he's going to need to pick up an NBA defense and learn the inner machinations that teams are going to throw at him. We saw in the summer league, he was flailing his body out everywhere. He had some fantastic blocks. It was one of the, our, our favorite highlights from the summer league, but it's not easy to transition into an NBA defense from a college defense yeah. from a guy that hasn't had to commit to a scheme for over a year now, since he was in high school. And let's be honest, you know, who was a great defender in high school, Amari Stoudemire. And you <laughs> see how these guys, these guys struggle when they get to the NBA, especially big men, rotations are impossible. If you really break this down, you look at what a big man is expected to do on a night to night basis. It's absurd how much they have to know and how they have to really comprehend a scheme. So again, that's on Fisdale. But like the other side of it too, though, is like he was a projected lottery pick. I know that, you know, shit went sour and he took an untraditional route to the league, but you know, this NBA is becoming more and more untraditional as time goes on. And I think this might be a little bit more accepted as time goes on too. Anthony Simons did the same thing where he just prepared his body. So like, 
I'm not saying that this kid's going to be Shaq. You know, I, I'm I'm enjoying the hype behind it and everything like that. But, like, I, I think that there's a lot of raw potential there. And, like, the thing you said is, is correct. Billy had a ceiling because he was more polished and he was further along and people knew what he was going to be, essentially. I, Mitchell Robinson is just so much more raw. No one has a full grasp on him because he has, he's been so tight with it, with how he, you know, shows himself. And, you know, I think he, that's why I'm saying, I think the only true expectation that I can put on him right now is like crack the rotation. That'd be really cool. And then we'll see where we go from there. Yeah. I, I think the biggest thing from that, that, that like buzz and that story was less like the shack thing, but just more that he's getting a lot of attention with internally in the camp. And that, like for a guy who hasn't played organized basketball since high school, which is like 12 or 14 months ago, that like because he's making weight lines in camp already, like that's just kind of huge. This has been talking about quite often because in the same article, you'll see that he said, we love his energy. We think that there's a misconception about him because he didn't go to college that he's not smart or he can't pick these things up. A lot of times for the best players in the NBA, they have just a heightened level of understanding of the game of basketball. And that comes from work that comes from experience, a whole type of conglomerate of different things that they need to learn over the course of time. So with Robinson, the things you're looking out for this year are what type of point guards he's playing with, how much they're running him in pick and roll and defensively, if he's just able to understand basic concepts, but we need to keep a couple things in mind. Number one, rookies in the NBA, are 99% of the time always bad. It's incredibly rare that we have a Donovan Mitchell or a Jason Tatum that end up being automatically top 50 players in the NBA. That's rare. Number two, second round picks are 99.9% of the time always bad. It's very rare that we end up with a Malcolm Brogdon that ends up coming out and winning rookie of the year as a second round pick. So if you think Mitchell Robinson is going to be this good. And you also think Kevin Knox is going to be this good right off the bat. Understand that you're expecting something unprecedented that we haven't seen in the NBA. So it's the little things with these guys, but I, Knox, we can have higher expectations right. because of the pedigree with Robinson. It's the little things. I think that there's the, the difference is with that. It kind of takes a look at things and puts it into a very narrow perspective where, you know, we're looking for a lot of different things with both of these guys. Like, like we know Knox can score. We're looking to make sure that that can translate to the NBA level. And, like, that's kind of enough to get him a job in the starting lineup because that lineup doesn't have anybody else who's going to be able to do that kind of thing, you know, in the same kind of fashion. So, right. I, I, you know, I think it'll be easier to see him do the thing that he's going to do. But we're not expecting so much, you know, we're not looking so much for scoring from him. We're looking for things like, you know, his footwork and improving his defense and, uh, you know, like the same guy, like being able to read rotations and things like that and making sure he can get that. And then like with Robinson, like that's really the primary focus, because I guess you do have a lot of similarities between the two because they're both offensively gifted and you just got to make sure that they're able to understand how to operate within within the terms of an NBA team. And, you know, like that's what you're saying, where you can't put too high of expectations on them. But that's kind of what you want to be looking for, at least. Yep, Matt, you kind of hit the nail on the head when you mentioned the point guard. I think a lot of Robinson's early early development success is going to come from how they're playing him and like what kind of playmakers are there surrounding him. And though a lot of it will come from Neil Aquino, come from Burke, maybe Hardaway. This will be really interesting if they like run him in the pick and roll over and over again, try to like get the mismatches going. You know what I'm worried about at this stage because. 
Emmanuel Moutier's ship, as far as I'm concerned, has sailed. He'll play this year, and I'm fine with that because he's still young. Give him some minutes. That's fine. He's bad. My worry is that if Robinson is your bench guy and Moutier in all likelihood will end up coming off the bench, I know there's already some rumblings. That's what I'm worried about. All of a sudden, you have this point guard that makes everyone worse on the court for his entire career. All of the numbers bear it out. We know he makes people worse. If you're playing that guy with your young, raw center, is he going to establish some bad habits? Is he going to struggle early on? That's a concern of mine. So I'll be watching that to see who he gets minutes with early on. Yeah, and and just the last thing, and if that's the case, um, then you, you kind of just need to put him in the G League and just even put even lower expectations because if it, the majority of his minutes are coming with the third string point guard on the team, then you're not going to see progress. Right, and Cantor's going to eat up a lot of center minutes anyways. We need to remember this, and we'll maintain. Cantor and Robinson should not play together. That will create intense spacing issues because even if Cantor starts shooting threes, he'd have to hit an insane clip for defenses to really start to respect it. Playing those two together is just not a smart thing to do. And it's not something that I think we'll see Fizdale do much, especially early. So it's the little things with these guys. It's the lineups. It's the coaching decisions that are made that end up having a lasting impact on their careers. So let's talk briefly about our beloved sidelined unicorn because there have been a lot of reports about how his his energy level is up and you know a lot of it's just training camp hub we talk about everything we find storylines that we flock to but it's great to see Porzingis understand that he needs to establish himself as a leader for this young team they have a lot of guys that are going to look up to him he's at the point of in his NBA career where Players come in, a Kevin Knox comes in and he goes, wow, like that's Chris Stapps Porzingis. He is an NBA all-star. He's someone that I should look up to. And you hope that KP is ready for that and willing to take on those roles. And especially after all the turmoil that happened just a summer ago, you want to see him love to be in New York. You want to see him really establish himself, take on any sort of leadership that he can for this young team, because that's the guy they're going to be looking to. So, Corbo, what do you think? I, I, with KP, I only have one thought right now. And I do appreciate the fact that he's out there and he's like meeting the guys. Like, Media Day's been good. This is Media Week. And this kind of goes for Ennis Canner, too. I don't know why this team looks like they all got bad haircuts before they showed up for Media Day. Who's got the worst one? What are you, what are you talking about? Porzingis had a good haircut. Porzingis' hair. thought KP's haircut was bad? Yeah, too short on the sides. Uh, oh, my God. Little, Did you hate Cantor's haircut? Yeah, too? they're like, I don't know why, man. It's a little eggheadish. What about Trey Burke though? Trey Burke's looking all right. Like I like, I, I think he's he pulled the braids in a little bit, but you know not too much. Like he kind of trimmed it up, so and we'll see. Better not goes. be criticizing the Trey Burke haircut. We know how much no, we stand no, no. for that. Yeah, Come no, on. no, no, no. Trey Burke. It's the only thing that's going to get him the starting job. You know whose no, hair but, looked the worst by far? What? Before who, you continue, who? who? Ron Baker. Yeah. <laughs> you know that pick of Ron where he has like the curly hair. Perm. He's got like yeah, a, perm. yeah, he's got the perm going on. It looked. In the Prom media day videos, like he was about an hour removed from getting rid of the perm because it looked <laughs> like the framework of it was still there. He looked ridiculous. Yeah. He, and if you in one of the Knicks videos, promotional videos, they had uh, Cantor interview different players and they interview Baker and Baker goes, oh, yeah, people think I look like Justin Bieber. What? He said that? <laughs> yeah. Oh, so my yeah, God. Baker doesn't look like Justin Bieber. At any point, he doesn't even look like handsome Justin Bieber. He doesn't look like drugged out Justin Bieber. What is he talking about? They don't even have the same hair color. 
<laughs> I don't know. Wow. That's offensive. I'm offended that he would even think that. And if anyone told him that, shame on you. <laughs> All right, Corvo, go ahead. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Before you got us off on this haircut tangent about KP. All I was going to say is that I do appreciate the fact that he's been on the court. He's been rebounding. He's been passing. He's been doing, you know, the little, little bit of work. I don't mind if he wants to go away from the team and chill out for a little bit, too. Like, you know, the ball's in his court. He can do whatever he wants to do with it. Uh, but it's nice to see him there. Uh, I know, he, you know, we'll see We'll see where he ends up from now. I don't have a, a very hot take on it. I don't think it's very impressive either. Like, he's there. He's showing it to us. He's showing us that he can walk. And, uh, yeah. yeah, we'll see him play in six, seven months. Yeah, maybe maybe it's just me, but I didn't really anticipate that he'd be like on the bench like pre preseason in like, game one, like with the team already. Like wait, I don't know if that's just me, but like I thought he could be away from the team a little bit longer. Right. Yeah, I thought so too. I think it's also him getting back to New York pretty recently before Media Day and probably wanted to be there. Cause honestly, like when it comes down to it, these guys want the media to write these stories. And I think we like KP. He's a genuine guy, and I think he wants to be there for the team, but he also wants to give the impression that he's going to be a leader because yeah, you want it. Sure. You want the attention you want. And he wants the bag. And I think that the more that time goes on, we should be more optimistic that he'll end up resigning in New York. But I don't, time will tell. I don't think it means much. I think he's just kind of putting our minds at ease a little bit. I agree. He's just, you know, he's, he's just like, because otherwise you're going to have this cloud lingering over the team with like, you know, where's KP? Why is he quiet with all of, you know, if the team gets off to a wrong foot and Fizdale kind of has some question marks, it'll be like, where's KP support for him and everything like that. Like it's good to have him around. Uh, but yeah, like I said, I just kind of want to see him play again. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny that his brother is his agent manager, but he kind of, they play it pretty savvily. Like you'd think like someone in your family who's like your manager, maybe like kind of blowing it, but everything he says is like very well. Yeah. And it feels genuine. Like when KP says things, there's some guys you'll watch and it's kind of media BS. But I think when KP answers a question, you know, he, he's being honest. He's about creative. It, so. Like, yeah. like he, he does take time to like think things through. So many guys just go on autopilot and he's still young. We'll see what's going on. But yeah, he like he at least seems genuinely like he uh, cares for the team. And that's enough for like that. You know, the media is going to try to get a bunch of bullshit out of him. And of course, he's going to try to do some blindside answers a little bit and kind of, you know, keep everyone at home but uh but for the for the most part i can you know i still get the sense that he enjoys being here and he wants to build something real yeah he he wasn't there on thursday and last thursday when i went but they they asked multiple times uh about extension and from perry and mills it sounded like they that he knows that they, he wants that they want him to be here for the long term yeah that's been clear it's one of those things where they're gonna hit a certain point where they're eligible to give him that extension and we know that they're waiting for cap space reasons so that they can end up creating max space by renouncing their free agents and um you know non-guaranteeing lance thomas's contract but it doesn't go towards the cap yeah right it's it's going to hit a moment where the knicks can offer him that and it makes cap sense that's going to be on the table at 1201 waiting for a signature yeah, there's no sure. doubt unless something you know all of a sudden something awful happens injury wise again this year something drastic would have to happen for to, that to not be the case this is their outlook this is their guy they're hitching their wagon to him as they should agree i have one thing before we get into our final segment mm-hmm. uh it is september 26th and mm-hmm. joe kim noah is still a nick why is this saga not over yet i mean Yo. man, <laughs> oh, he's on the subway that's why yeah <laughs> yeah that, that was a hilarious picture i oh just God. i wonder because remember you took that picture with like josh brolin and uh who else was with them in that picture 
the beat. You took a picture with Josh Brolin. Yeah, he Team Thanos. The uh, I, I did not see this picture. Hold on, let me let me make sure I got this right. Cause like it was like Joking that beat. Go, yeah, go find this picture and then we'll tweet it out from the podcast account after if you have it right there. Because I have no idea what you're talking about. Hold on. I'm genuinely curious. Yeah. I, so I mean, he just posted a picture. The uh, he's with John McEnroe and Josh Brolin. <laughs> he's, uh, he's on the beach. He looks shredded still and everything send, like that. But Send me this picture, please. All right, hold on. Send me this picture. I'm pulling it off a TMZ right now. Give me a fucking second. Was this just this week? This was like last week. Oh, my God. I can't what do you, I miss this. What, what do you think uh, Joking Noah's favorite Josh Brolin movie is? Uh, is it Sicario? Yeah, no, it's Sicario 2. He's like, I don't like the first one. <laughs> I don't know. What other like weird Josh Brolin movies are there? No, uh, it wasn't. Didn't he play George W. Bush in a movie? In, yeah, in that that like biopic thing. Was he in? Was he in True Grit? He's in True Grit, right? He was in True Grit in remake. True, yeah, yeah. True True Grit was a good one. Uh, no, no, it's just like a Thanos diehard oh, right yeah. guy. Yeah, he's like, yeah, he was right. He had the right message. All right, hold on. This is going Cable into the chat perfect. right now. Joking. All right, perfect. Uh, but I no, but he looks like he looks in that subway picture. He just looks like considerably like. I don't know, older. Like it, I, like I think he's just stocking up on photos, but he's been living his best life. If he, oh I don't my care, God. bro. This pick is amazing. All right, I, bro. Eat like that man looks. Yeah, he is skinny God, as fuck skinny. right now. Wow, Brolin also looks like he's come off of the because I think he got yerked to play Cable in Deadpool, mm. which I don't know when they shot that, but he he looks like he's come off that one. Yeah, I will give Joe Kim Noah some credit. That man keeps himself in fantastic shape. Yeah, which is like he's the best trainers in the world. Yeah, if he ends yeah. up playing well, a couple of minutes in training camp, I know he won't. He'll be gone by then. But if he ends up playing a couple of minutes in training camp, I won't be mad. It's not possible. He's he's, he's not with, with the team. team. Yeah, we saw uh, he commented on Damian Dotson's picture the other day and said, you know, good luck with everything. And Dotson said, thanks, OG, appreciate it. So I don't yeah, think there's I, any. I don't think he will. But yeah, with the players on the Knicks, I think that it's just. It, it, it had to come to an end. It was a relationship that was clearly doomed from the start. And we, we've rapidly approached the end. It's just a matter of days. Although we've said that for how long? How long have we had a pending story in our drafts that the Knicks have parted with? Uh, January? It's January. Yeah, well, that's so what I'm saying. Like, what's a couple of weeks? Go out. I don't care. All right. So, yeah. It's it's coming to an end. Soon, but they're just ironing out how much money he's probably going to get. Exactly what it is, and it'll probably look something like Walt, the Wall Dangs, right? Don't you think that's a framework the Knicks would follow? Uh, I think, so. I think I mean, Noah will fight for a little bit more, honestly, because I think I think I, that Dang had more of an opportunity out there. I, you know, Noah probably will just sign with the Timberwolves, but uh, but like I don't know, he's to any other team but the Timberwolves, he's just got so much to prove that I think he wants something a little bit more solid from the Knicks. Oh. Oh yeah, it was like Woj Shams said that like multiple teams are interested in him when he's released, but like you know that's just, like the wolves. <laughs> yeah, stop. What other team really wants Joe Kim Noah? We saw him yeah. play for fifty games a couple years ago. He was not good. All he could do was rebound the basketball, which I will say he did at an elite rate. Oh yeah, rebound the basketball. Well. Let's close out because it is KP week. 
here at the Knicks wall. So we've had some great pieces come out from our writers. Yes, we've we had have. some Just KP. Some content. Yes. This is a sad, this is kind of a bittersweet KP week because, you know, obviously it was you've been and everything. Like, yeah. we've been doing this. This is the third one now in a row that we've been, you know, doing some, uh, some kind of events in here. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of a little bit of a strange feel to it this year. There's a storm over it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's a bit cloudy. It's much different because last year I wrote a piece about what to expect from KP's offense. And this oh, year, for man. example, we had a great piece by Eli Cohen go out that, basically was just about KP's passing, but we can only grab from so much information because we missed him for two months at the end of the season. And then all of a sudden you're always writing with the caveat that when he comes back healthy, if he comes back healthy, who we can compare him to, who's had these injuries, because we kicked off the week with what can KP do? When should he come back? Our next peak was what can he do to make biomechanics work and how can he, I don't know. I think we still have that one in the works, right? It's coming out soon. Okay, coming out soon. Yeah, I read it and I was thinking, but yeah, we've had some, uh, at least two pieces have been about his injury. So it's just like totally different kind of mentality that we have with KP week this year. It's funny. I had to do a little bit of uh, work in the site where I went back through a lot of our past articles and just had to do do some like weird tagging stuff. But, uh, you know, I kept on reading headlines and like popping open some other articles and I got to KP week last from last year. And I read through a couple of them, and it's just, yeah, it's uh, it's just tinted so differently this year. It's different. But, yeah. All right, so just, just to close us out, we'll just take a few minutes mm-hmm. here. We just want to talk about some of our favorite KP moments. And I just want to say my favorite KP moment was when, I don't know if I've told this story on the podcast. I probably have, but it's been a while. So those, any new listeners out there as we get into this season, I can remember watching SportsCenter in... March of 2015, I guess, when the Knicks drafted him, right? Was it 14 or 15? 15. My God, yeah. The the years just start to blur together once you graduate college. It's true. But I remember watching SportsCenter, and they're showing highlights of this guy, Chris Stapps Porzingis. And I'm sitting there with my buddy who's a big Knicks fan, and he goes, the Knicks are going to draft this guy. And I'm like, shut the fuck up. Like, it's just just whatever. Like, it's not going to happen. So we have a laugh about it. And the months go on or it's just that the weeks go on because it's leading up to the draft and you start to hear buzz that he's creeping up. And then it was a weird draft because you had cat. And then after that, there wasn't as many guys that you thought could go for because we had D'Angelo Russell mm-hmm. and Julia Locafor. And during the draft, I said, give me Julia Locafor and I'll be fine. Like I wasn't going to be thrilled, but he's the guy that I thought made the most sense. Dude, I when still remember I was working. It was my first thing I was doing from the Knicks wall. I was making yes, a graphic, right. you know, to, you know, Ryan reached out to me earlier in the day and he was like, can you make a graphic for whoever we draft tonight? And I'm just sitting in my living room watching it. And I'm like, cool. And I'm literally in the process of making a Julia Loca for one. And he's just like, yep. no, go Porzingis quick. And I, th- I threw on together. But yeah, that's that I will never forget that draft. And when he got drafted, they said, you know, Adam Silver says Chris Stapps Porzingis. My friend calls me and I think we just laughed on the phone for about 30 seconds. And then I was like, I got to go. Like, but I said initially that I was not going to say anything bad because I didn't want to be wrong about it. If I was going to talk about a guy I knew nothing about, I didn't want to have it be charged one way or the other. As soon as I saw the Porzingis riding dirty in the car, I knew it was going to be good. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. (laughs) My mind. I saw that and I was like, all right, we're good. I'm sold. So where, where can I sign the Porzingis papers? And then all of a sudden, preseason, he looked good. It was it was just summer it league, happened quickly. Yeah, it, it, was, it was awesome. You know what's kind so, of crazy guys, to think what, about? I just thought about now. 
I think the most anticipated or the most kind of hyped up draft pick the Knicks have had like this decade has been a Monchumper. He got a lot of hype. Yeah, like coming out of the gate, like the pit. Or Landry Fields, maybe. Landry Fields. Yeah, got no, a lot but of I'm it like, I'm not, I mean, like, yeah, he kind of earned that in the season. I mean, like, straight out of the gates, like right after the draft. I feel like the most hyped up player has been like fucking Iman Shumpert. Not, not, not to get too nostalgic, but remember that game, Shumpert locked up Derrick Rose, like, like prime Derrick Rose? Mm-hmm. Oh, it was amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He had that great dunk against the Cavs, too. He had some great rookie year moments, of course. Yeah. Yeah. He also tore his ACL in his first game yeah. of his NBA career. That, that, yeah, that changed his trajectory. Yeah, because it was it was the Celtics. They played the Celtics on Christmas during the lockout year, and he tore his ACL, and it, it changed from there. But when you guys think KP, because I've kind of set the baseline here for him coming to the Knicks, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Corbin, let's start with you. Well, all right. So I mentioned that play that I loved earlier. Um yeah, the, the one it's against the Suns, and uh, I forget who he's, who he's playing against, but, you know. Josh Jackson. Josh Jackson, yeah. Stuffs him right under the rim. Signature KP dunk uh, block, you know, knocks it to half court, keeps it in bounds. Someone else dribbles it out, passes it to KP. He slams it home. And, like, I love that because it just embodies everything that KP was. And now I watch it again today, and it's a little bittersweet because I'm like, he's not going to be able to do that anymore. Uh, but he, I think he'll be able to do each one of those things individually. But I don't oh, think he can still do it. I don't think he'll be able to fucking be optimistic. I'm listen. I think that he'll be much improved in other ways. But I think he'll be I, slightly transformed players. Yeah, I think something you'll see from just like the pieces that we we've been putting out this week is I think we're trying to be optimistic and we're trying to hope that he's a little bit more of a cerebral player when he gets back. Like hopefully, just watching more game and like understanding of the kind of player he can be when he gets back. It can just be a little bit more smarter in the court. Yeah, and he needs some of that development. Eli wrote a great piece about KP's passing, just basically saying that there hasn't been a guy that scores as much as him with such a low assist rate that actually has had a sustainable level of success. So mm-hmm. that's something we're going to have to see tick up. It's it's just a fact. But I just Numbers aside, it, it, you don't want to get too caught up in the right, numbers right. at this point. We have plenty of time to talk about that. I think with him, I'm excited to see a more patient player when he comes back. And that's speaking to what Reed was saying about him being a little bit more cerebral. I think he'll, he's going to understand a little bit more. He's a, you know, even if he's not getting out court experience, he's going to be experienced. I'm, I'm excited when I think of KP right now, I'm anticipating a slightly wiser, uh, slightly more comfortable player out there who can do, you know, I would say probably 85% of the things that the KP that we already grew to love can do. That's optimistic, I think, right? I I don't know. I just we've seen too many guys come back from knee surgeries and be really good. I, I, I KP obviously yeah. with his height, we have concerns, but yeah, I don't think we should go in expecting. I'm not him ruling to that out. Yeah, worse. I mean, yeah, I don't I don't expect him to be worse at all. I think he'll, he's just going to be different, and I think he's going to be more I, sound in the things that he. I think the things that come out of this ACL tear that he's going to be able to do, he's going to be able to do very soundly. I think that there there might be some superfluous little right uh, like uh, ruptures to his game that will that we will no longer see. Yeah, I, I mean, I just hope he doesn't go into like posting back to the basket a little bit more because I think even though he had this injury, he should actually go a little bit more to facing up and like just spreading out the court instead of being locked into like the mid range. Less mid range is number one priority for KP when he comes back because he was shooting too many of them. Yeah, yeah. but right, right, when, when, when you think KP, what are some moments that come to mind? Yeah, so the first thing would be just the rollout of 
KP positive spin when they drafted him. I don't know if you remember this, but like in the June, July, August of when he came into the league, that was like when the pictures of him with the cornrows were leaked. And he like had all oh, this. Tree. He just, about that too. In like the Latvian uh, gangbanger, like just like him when they spun him to make be a little bit positive since everyone was like, who the F is this? I, I think that was a little bit heartwarming because it's usually so negative. So that was like the first thing that comes to mind. I remember getting a notification of who they drafted even before it was announced on TV. And I just look up and I'm just like, oh my God, like they actually got him. Like I, I, I didn't have any feelings, like you said, Matt, either way, like negative or positive. I'm like, wow, they actually got him. Right. And then the next thing is just the Kevin Love put back dunk, the LaMarcus Aldridge. Put People back said dunk. Aldridge Raptors was one. a popular one when we tweeted it out. That was a popular yeah. one. It was, and it was like, it felt like a string of them too, like early, early into his rookie year. And it's, and he actually hasn't really been doing that recently, but he, it's like that, like put back, like it gave him like that aggressive demeanor. Yeah. That's yeah, kind of, thought he's like a European guy who's not tough. Yeah. That's kind of part of what I, what I was talking about before. We didn't really, we didn't really see too many of those putbacks for him in like year, less than year two and like really not many in year three. No. Uh, and I, I I think that that's kind of one of those things that I'm talking about where it's like the more superfluous things like he's not any less efficient because he's not, you know, destroying guys with putbacks or, you know, like you or highlight real putbacks or anything like that. And I think that kind of allows him to grow parts of his game that are going to be more effective in the long term. Yep. Another yeah. one people said was his almost game winner in Charlotte, which yes. weirdly sticks with Knicks fans because it was a moment in KP that we were like, Oh my God, this guy might actually be like really good. Yeah. Not just a good draft pick that they have, but he actually might have an outlook that ends up being super positive. And I can remember it was one of the more exacerbated I've been when it didn't work out for the Knicks. Like I was just, okay. I was very upset because it was like, Oh my God, like it was so close. And I, it's this rookie that they just got that almost hit a game winner. Cause I was a few people answered that, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, because Matt, I thought it's absolutely right. Matt, Matt I was actually going to say that next. Yeah. Um, no, I think that sticks out. And I'm, I'm like one of those fans like you just mentioned that like sticks out for them. It's because like it was something that you felt that you really wanted him to get, even like in a meaningless season, it was something like you really want him to have this iconic moment in his rookie season. And I'm, I'm a little bit of a truther for that because if you look really closely, like there's a little bit of the shot clock that went off, and it was a little bit, it was like red around the basket before. I tweeted the pick out. Oh, you did? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. So I'm a, I'm a little bit of a truther. I think it should have counted, but maybe that's just me being like, oh, I want him to have this moment. That, but yeah, it, it wasn't one of those moments. Where like, wow, he he could really make a difference. It's damn close in the picture. It's damn close. That's, that's my tinfoil tin theory right there. <laughs> I also, Joe Nardone, our good friend and TKW Podcast Network colleague, Jeff. tweeted uh, something. Uh, he tweeted the Keep Calm Like Chris Depp's Porzingis video, oh, yeah. which I don't know. if For those of you that haven't heard that, number one, uh, where have you been and why did you never see this amazing video? And number two, I had this on my party playlist in college. Enormous hit. There was another rap video of him, too. Right? Yeah, the yes. fucking Latvian one. That one was so good. I put that one on replay. I mean, it was terrible. That one also unbelievable. But... That There was both of them. Because, But you know what the best? The Latvian one, if you look that one up, the translation into English is unbelievably funny. And someone translated it out there. Oh, I think it's on man. YouTube. That's... Is, does, does KP hold the record for most rap songs about him before he like even finished his rookie season? Yeah, like uh, I don't know player. how many rap songs are there about Luka Doncic. We might have to tally them oh. up. <laughs> That's be, well, Mo Bamba. 
No, Mo Bamba's got the most popular one before he's played. That's Wait, true. can you can you explain that to me? Because I I've seen that, but I don't, I haven't heard it. Oh, it's just a song, and he's just like you know I'm a baller like Mo Bamba. I oh. I listened to it like two times. Like I it's it's a very you can tell like it's just like a college party song. That's what it is. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> it. It kind of smacked when I listened to it. Kind of enough to even rookie. Not when I go off back off into. Yeah, I, we'll see. Any other KP moments we wanted to mention? Oh man, I just so many to choose from. I don't know. Do that, do we want to do we want to talk about the the day that it all went down, or are we just gonna? No, it's no, KP. No, let's, let's, let's keep live it in in bliss. Let's live I, in ignorance. Last, yeah. last November, that back to back Pacers Hornets comeback victories mm, that stands yes. out to me because well, one of them was a forty point game, but but not even just the scoring total to me. It was just like a grit and like the comeback mentality that they had and like also that was one of the fourth quarters that frank played the entire time and when he was on the court with kp they looked so good together wow. yeah that was the pacers game more so yeah but, but frank but had that, two or three big threes and they just had fantastic yeah. games together also yeah, that's just like it, oh sorry it gives you a it, yeah it just gives you like a glimpse and like what could they like how could they play together in the future yeah and every i i was watching highlight reels of porzingis again today too and Every single time he dunks the ball and he starts jogging down the court, I ever since he's done that wink, I expect him to do a <laughs> wink. Like people also said the Dwight Howard play. Yeah, a couple of people said that when he oh, yeah. got the foul on Howard and the dunked on him, and then gave him a, banger. a little wink. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. It's it's that man. The Nets, he knows what he's doing. The, the Nets block too, where he kind of engulfed the ball. Yeah. Oh, oh man, God, he yeah. just ate fucking. Is that Jared Allen underneath them? No, I, th- I thought it was like Dinwiddie. I thought it was a guard. Maybe, maybe wrong. Oh, really? I I thought he like engulfed. Like he ate. We might be talking about a different place, but there's one where you're like, there's like a guard who's on him. Like he kind of he manages to pump fake, get the guard in the air, and then drives past him. He's like right on the right baseline, and then one of the net center. I can only see a fro, so I'm assuming it's Jared Allen. But uh, like came in close underneath the basket doing contest, and like it didn't matter. KP just like did that thing where he like. Puts his hand, his arm all the way up and like hooks it down like he's just like the Grim Reaper with the sickle <laughs> and just took it down. That's a, like yeah, the no. KP dunk is so special and exclusive to him too that yeah. I really hope that takes off. That I think of that a lot with him too. Yeah, I, I remember that one. I, the one I was mentioning was it was a block. He was kind of baseline. I think it was on Dinwiddie where he kind of just he kind of palmed yeah. the ball. Oh yeah, and yeah, just, yeah. Like, yeah it down yeah. to his hip. Oh. Yeah, that was in. I I think I, I was making a merch video for TKW uh, a couple of months ago, and there's I don't know if it made it in there or not, but I was like I slowed that down and like tried to uh, do something where he just you know it like just like golf the ball and then like faded out to like our logo afterwards. Yeah, it's also really hard to look as cool as KP does when he dunks with him being as tall as he is. He makes dunking look abnormally cool for his height because being a seven, three guy, it shouldn't look that cool to dunk. And that was one of the first things watching him that I was like, Holy shit. It actually looks fun when he dunks and it makes me scream at the top of my lungs rather than, you know, when you get the other tall guys, you've had the Sean Bradley's and the gals, like those guys are just dropping it in the hoop and they were a comparable height. It's his athleticism and just sheer ball handling too. That was one of the first things yeah, I remember I, too. I think because when he was coming up, he never even, even like considered himself a power forward center. He always saw himself as like a slasher guard. Absolutely. Yep. Like, and like going even back to the cornrows is because he wanted to model himself after like mellow, like, or even Kobe he mentioned early in his career. Because, and like, and that's why I love from him too, is he's just basically a center, you know, seven, three, but he's like a slasher too. And that's like really when he's best, when he's just like mm-hmm. giving the ball in transition, he's going to dunk it in your face. Absolutely. 
All right. We have indulged ourselves enough. I have one, on one last. I, I want to get one last. You got take one last one to send us yeah. off. Yeah. All right. Uh, this. I. I just want to uh, know from Matt real quickly if he's watched okay. any Rangers preseason so far. You know what? They've aligned with some important Yankees games mm. slash podcast slash other TKW stuff. So I haven't watched as much since the first game. All to right. be frank, but I do keep tap. Well, Anderson's a stud. Yeah. Uh, re- okay. feeling real great about him. We got three real good centers coming around. Uh, yeah, I, I just a lot of potential on this team, and a lot of potential to finish last in the in the uh, division too. So let's get a uh, let's get that high draft pick. I think we might have said this when you were on last time, and I don't know if it was on the pod, but the Knicks and Rangers have a similar outlook this year, and that they're both going to be bad, but people feel like they're generally on the right track. Race to the bottom. Hey, at least, at the very least, our mascot isn't gritty. <laughs> oh, dude, that... You don't are like you, gritty? Guys, no, I do. I do love gritty, but... Oh, uh, man, I... Uh, I guess I got a story gritty, for like anti-gritty people, but there's also like the, the ironic pro-gritty people. That's how everyone should yeah. be. No, That's the best way to consume things, is ironically liking things. That's the best way to consume any sort of any sort of medium like this any sort of thing that is ridiculous the eyes. i just it's, <laughs> it's perfect i just love uh the fact that the rangers got a little puppy mascot this summer oh my god so. it melts my heart i'm not even much of a dog person oh man it. i can watch that dog do whatever for hours like <laughs> like i can just literally waste a day watching that dog fucking run in a circle and That's then so funny. came right up on my trying to be kim kardashian oh yeah i saw that too yeah and, for those of you that haven't seen Gritty, go ahead and go ahead and look that one up. It's nightmare fuel, so be careful. Yeah, look up, look up. Uh, wait, have, have the Knicks ever had a mascot? Father Knickerbocker. Uh, I don't know. It would just be a Knickerbocker with a Ooh. huge fat ass, like well, their old logo was. Well, what, what would their? This would be another tangent, and we're going to be opening another can of worms, maybe for another time. But what would their mascot be? Oh, uh, I want to hear. I want to know what people think of this. Like, just like Didas and Mira. <laughs> yeah. All right. Here's what we'll do. Tweet us. What the Knicks mascot? We'll have a discussion tomorrow on our on our Twitter far. account about who should be the Knicks mascot. So let us know. We'll have plenty of stuff going up on the Twitter. We'll have some conversation. So other than that, we got a lot of more stuff. A lot of more stuff. That doesn't make any sense. We got a ton more stuff coming out. KP week rolls on. A couple more days left. Training camp rolls on. Guys, preseason game in what? Four days? We're going to have actual Jesus basketball. Christ, for real? Fantastic. Yeah. So keep on the lookout for that. Uh, other than that, Guys, great talking. We'll see you later.